Hello, everyone. Hello, friend pals. Welcome to another exciting episode of I'm Horrified. Ooh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, this is the podcast where we talk about just bad shit. Yeah. I'm in a good mood. Well, then I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> not for long. Um, I'm so glad you're in a good mood today. I'm in a good mood. I mean, I feel ready to create content with you. And what headspace are you in, Sam? I'm pr- uh, pretty good. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, what's, so... my, what's my every waking moment? Tired? Um, <laughs> a little non-specifically anxious? Yeah, it's like, Sam, how are you? Uh, uh, well, well. I'll tell I'm... you this. Not awful. Yeah, <laughs> alive, for sure. Certainly living. No, I'm doing good. I'm doing well. You're doing great. We're both doing well, I think. We're wearing matching t-shirts today we're, as we record. Yeah, we're wearing matching Baby Yoda t-shirts that yeah. say, I would die for baby. Go on Super Yaki. That's where we bought them. That's where we bought them. It's a fun small business that sells t-shirts. We both are a little haggard after a long day, so we're <laughs> not going to take a picture of us in them. We'll do no. that on another I could, time. I could take a close-up of Baby Yoda's face, but yes. not of not of Baby Sam's face. Yeah. Adorning your torso. Adorning So mine. that's how you'd be involved. It'd be, like, weirdly sexed because it is mostly my boobs, but yeah. they're in a t-shirt. There's a Yoda on top of them. <laughs> yeah. So, less yeah. so. Um, Allie, what are you going to talk about with us today? Well, today I'm going to talk about cognitive distortion. I cannot wait to hear about this. You excited? I am, I am, because we've, we've talked about this a teeny bit, but not too, too much, and when I don't I'm, fully understand what they are. Sometimes so. when I go to therapy and I learn something, I'm so excited about it that I kind of cross a line and try to give you it like give you the therapy and be like oh this tool was so great like it was so like I thought about like how you could use it in your life with that problem that you told me about like two (laughs) weeks ago and you're like thanks like yeah don't super you're not super doctor but like (laughs) thank you so much um but I just I get so excited no but I I get so excited about therapy who doesn't I find you so helpful to talk about my issues with so I'm excited that you can now do that for our entire audience I thought is it inappropriate for me to give therapeutic guidance and then I answered myself absolutely (laughs) yeah 100% but when has that stopped me before it's an ethical mandate you must ethical mandate is right um and then Sam what are you going to talk about today I'm going to talk about the Iowa caucus this is a real boner killer for the end of the episode (laughs) no because every time I say it I'm going to say it like caucus oh ooh (laughs) tingles so there you go you guys tingles it's gonna be a sexy episode because i'm talking about my caucus speaking of which i do want to reiterate we're gonna have to get another a fresh ad up but um our adam and eve coupon is still live go to adamandeve.com use our special code horror Horror. h-o-r-r-o-r at checkout yes you get like 50 percent off any type of caucus you want to purchase sam <laughs> i'm trying to make it sexy you gotta man. make it hot the iowa yeah. caucus is not sexy maybe not the way you do it <laughs> that's true there's one horny iowan that's furious you know what's funny um that i'll admit because we're all just kind of being honest today i yeah. don't i don't know what the iowa caucus is i act like the kind of person who knows <laughs> yeah i could so easily find out yeah I don't know what it is. No, and let me tell you, I didn't know what it was either. And then I Googled it and then I thought this would make a good podcast episode. That's true. Anytime I'm, there's like a big life thing that's like everyone's always talking about, very mm-hmm. like, rah, 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 on NPR or something. I'll just wait for you to explain it to me. <laughs> I love that. Here agreement. in this room. Well, I always, I very rarely feel bad about stuff like that because it's like, and I think you talked to me about this once, but it's like. I used to feel embarrassed when, like, I'd pronounce a word wrong or something, but mm-hmm. it's really just, like, you've just never heard that word spoken before, so that's fine. Exactly, and that means that you read. Yeah. Like, you read a word and you didn't know exactly how it was pronounced, so, you know, you gain that knowledge on your own of your own volition. That's that's awesome. That's a great thing. Right? So it's, like, it's like don't be embarrassed. Never. Yeah. For not knowing something to the point of, like, keeping yourself from it. You know what for I mean? Sure. Like, and with that, I think that's a great segue into wow. cognitive therapy. Here we go. Um, and I'm going to be talking about cognitive distortions, which is and isn't exactly what it sounds like. And basically, it's your brain doing something wackadoodle and distorting the information that's entering it. And that sounds like it could either be like some crazy disorder mm-hmm. or something else, but really, it's something that happens to pretty much everyone. Yeah. At varying degrees, but it happens to all of us. But in order to talk about that and how I learned about cognitive distortion and CBT and things like that, we're going to cover a little ground. 
so I'm gonna be, that being said, I'm gonna be talking about cognitive therapy and mental illness and treatment for mental illness. I will not go into any explicit details about like violent symptoms or trauma, but just wanted to put that out there. So to make a long story short, your your darling co-host Allie, um, I've mentioned many times on this podcast that I have mental illnesses um, and I take medication for depression, all that good self-love and stuff. I'm yeah. obviously in therapy. Who isn't? Amen. Who isn't? And if you aren't, <laughs> honestly think about going. It's really it's really liberating. Yeah, it really is considerate. Like you don't also, you don't have to, but think about it. Yeah, it's also really hard to get into therapy sometimes. It really can be. You know, um, that's a little that's a little plug for a podcast project that I'm working on actually. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll drop that later. So yeah, like we've both kind of been candid about our mental health journeys to some degree. What I have not yet discussed on this platform is that uh, over the course of 2019, through a period of many, many months, I was becoming increasingly symptomatic and ended up being hospitalized and placed into treatment at a psychiatric hospital this past fall for a few months. And, you know, you obviously knew all of this. I did. I'm not telling you this for the first time. Wouldn't that be crazy if this was the venue in which we spoke about this for the very first time? You know that time that I said I was in (laughs) Idaho for a work conference for two months. I know you think I love Disney World, but actually, (laughs) I haven't been in years. You kept texting me like, just admit you're at Disney World. (laughs) And now you feel stupid. No, you obviously knew this. We have spoken about this before. Yes, obviously. I think... What happened was, I, you probably texted me something like, oh, can you edit the podcast this week? And I just texted back, no. <laughs> I can't. I'm busy. So I have considered whether or not I wanted to talk about this experience on here for a few reasons. The most obvious one being that it feels a little scary to admit to a lot of people that you went full girl interrupted. Like, it's it's a hard, scary thing. It was a difficult process, mm-hmm. and it's it's difficult to come to grips with. And to kind of place back into the context of of your life and feeling normal and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I, as, as we all know, I have no shame. So the shame goes away very fast. And I have no shame. I have no embarrassment. I got over that pretty quickly, thankfully. Yeah. And you shouldn't have shame about something like this. Oh, I like shouldn't. It's, I it's shouldn't. It's very much a thing that, like, our culture is like, well, if you can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yes, absolutely. Then what is, and it's like, that's not at all the way that anyone should be. Oh yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah. But it's also totally okay if, you know, this, you know, and, and a lot of people listening, this will have this, you understand what, what I'm discussing and mm-hmm. you've been through it and you know what it's like to go back to work and have everyone think that you, I don't know, fell down yeah. a flight of stairs. Had a weird, a weird flu. <laughs> but the main reason I hesitated as to why, whether or not I would talk about this kind of stuff on this platform is I didn't want to talk about my life, my experiences, mental health situations, just for like the sake of sharing personal information, Mm -hmm. much as we love to do that. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of the, the things that I'm going to talk about and may talk about more in the future, Mm -hmm. um, fall under a very like, oh, it's terrible, I'm horrified, like perfect content. But like we always joke that we're just here to upset you and disturb you. But yeah. really like what we're trying to do most of the time is find the strength and the light and the things that scare us. Hopefully that thesis has been made clear, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know, so while this particular subject, cognitive distortion, is this perfect, perfect example. I, you know, I, I couldn't believe I hadn't thought of it before. I was like, oh my goodness, like, it's this little worm in your brain that tells you things that are lies, and then you believe it for your whole life. It's crazy. It's this crazy concept that's totally changed my life. But yeah, it's, I mean, learning about it is also something that genuinely changed my life for the better, and I think a lot of people have had that same experience. And it's also very important to me that the narratives we see around mental health are not just narratives of suffering and narratives of challenge. There are also a lot of narratives of triumph and of normalcy and of, you know, a lot of good stuff. So, you know, my my story right now is absolutely one of triumph. I, you know, so I'm really grateful to share it. Um, And thank you all for bearing with that. And you got to bear with one more thing, which I have to say before I get into the good stuff. So I am going to talk about a psychological concept. I know what I said before about how I'm going to give you advice. I'm not here to give you advice. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I wish we both were, but we just aren't. I don't. (laughs) We're not, I'm not a therapist, social worker. I have a BA in theater. Mm -hmm. I have no authority to speak to anyone Mm -hmm. at all. 
Unless you'd like to talk about epic theater. Yeah. Um, Brechtian influences on American theater. Absolutely. Anytime, any day, any place. Yeah. I'm ha- here for you. Hamilton's place in, like, the general Broadway model. Mm-hmm. Any of that. But yeah, I mean, before incorporating this into any kind of <laughs> treatment plan or practice for yourself, talk to your doctor, talk to your therapist. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. Um, all right, it's finally time. We're going to talk about the topic. I cannot wait. It's finally time. Woo! What, what is it? What's it doing? What exactly is it doing laying eggs in our brain? Um, so cognitive distortion is a concept within an umbrella of therapy called cognitive behavior therapy, also known as CBT. So when I was in treatment, um, for those of you who are curious about what kind of things you learn in therapy, because I think... It's, you know, it's all there on the internet. It's Mm -hmm. all there for you to explore. Um, The main types of therapy used um, were CBT, ACT, and DBT. And those are all, like, acronym city. I will let you Google those on your own, but those are kind of the, to my understanding, the three main types of coping mechanism therapy styles that people have found really helpful and effective for managing things like depression, anxiety, things like that. So those things are out there. This is under CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And what that is, is a concept that revolves around the idea that we have thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and they're all intertwined constantly and affecting each other constantly. So they call it the CBT Triangle. And you got thoughts at the top, and then at the bottom right, feelings, and then at the bottom left, behaviors. Nice. Or behaviors can go at the top, and feelings can go somewhere. It's fine. Yeah. But, it's a triangle. Yeah, I mean, it's a really cool concept, right? Like, so if I think something about myself, it affects how I feel emotionally, and maybe it'll affect what I do that day, <laughs> whether or not I get up early or I sleep in late, you know, that's a that's a whole thing right there. That's a morning right there. But also, if I manage to get out of bed, if I make the choice to do the behavior of getting out of bed and doing some sun salutations, then maybe I feel differently or maybe mm-hmm. I think differently or I start to have a feeling that makes my thought process a little lighter and happier. So there's, there's all these different sort of permutations mm-hmm. of the interactions between behavior, thought, and feeling that are just pinging around yeah back and forth and any one of them can trigger the other two yeah yeah for sure in a lot of different ways positive ways and negative ways yeah um but it's just that's always happening i found that super interesting because my brain always feels like a nightmare (laughs) so being able to just kind of be like all right you're all thoughts so you go over to that side of the triangle (laughs) and that's a that's a behavior you go over to your side of the triangle (laughs) like that was helpful for me as a uh, you know, as this one crazy person. Um, but the other thing that kind of goes along with that is my favorite discovery from mm-hmm. therapy ever, which is feelings don't just happen. Thoughts create them. Which sounded fake the first time. That sounds that fake. Me. That sounds fake. Absolutely. Because something happens, I sad. Yeah. Something else happens, I happy. Yes. That's it. That's, that's the period. Whole... The thing happens and it causes the emotion. Bar not, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Or is it? No. The answer is no, that is not what happens. <laughs> I was told by many, many professionals, no, that is not the case. Um, what actually happens is it feels that way. Feels that way, but right between you know the stimulus and the feeling, your brain puts it into a thought, and sometimes it's a good thought. Sometimes it's the sun is on your skin, and you're like, oh, this feels so nice, and you know what I mean. Like it kind of computes in your brain, this is a nice feeling, this is pleasurable, it's not dangerous, it's something that gives us comfort. Those things rush in and allows the feeling to occur. Um, <clears throat> so just kind of hang on to that. For me, it's like, wow, it's, I, I have, we'll we'll get to why it's important. We'll Mm -hmm. get to why it's important. But first, just like, ponder. Amazing. So, CBT also primarily focuses on challenging cognitive distortions. We're going to finally define it. After all this time. How long are we in? We're like 15 minutes in. I cannot wait. After all this time, we're going to tell you what it is. Um, So, cognitive distortions are thought patterns that exaggerate or otherwise negatively impact your appraisal of a situation or information. That's really wordy. Basically what it is, is your brain 
acting on something that comes into it, a statement, a movie, a image, mm-hmm. a sound, and taking it and twisting it a little bit. Twisting it in a way that is making it inaccurate. So, do you ever ask yourself, Sam, uh, why is my brain so mean to me? <laughs> I have asked myself that once yep. or twice. <laughs> why do I freak out over things that are so inconsequential? Yeah, absolutely. Why am I constantly so judgmental of my actions? Yeah. And why is my internal thought process always so judgy? Absolutely. You know? Um, I was just talking about, my therapist was talking about this with me earlier today. A good woman to do so. Uh, yes. It's a big problem for everyone. Well, Sam, we're going to see if any of these guys found, sound familiar. We're going to go through a couple. Woo! And see if any of them are some uh, ex-boyfriends. You know Ooh. what I mean? Like, do we have we tussled with any of these? Oh. Are any of these in our uh, in our past? Former lovers. Um, and these are all in, like, Wikipedia order for convenience. I'm not plagiarizing because I have these all on flashcards <laughs> yes. that I made in therapy. So if I <laughs> just, that's that. So we'll start off with, so ba- so basically the way that you can frame this is this is the piece of colored glass mm-hmm. that your brain is putting between you and the truth. Yeah. And we can never know the exact truth about the world, mm-hmm. but sometimes our brain is putting down a piece of colored glass to distort what the truth is as we could reasonably understand it. And it's, it's acting upon, it's, your brain is making an action. It's acting upon this situation and it's not something you are doing yourself. Mm-hmm. Your brain is doing it. So I guess you could say you're doing it, but you know, we won't go there. <laughs> um, so, so that's how you can think about it in kind yeah. of a visual way. So one of them is emo- emotional reasoning. What that means is our brain says to us that what we feel is real. Now that again sounds really vague. <laughs> What that means is, I feel stupid, so I am a stupid, unintelligent person. I'm feeling stupid right now because I've been made, because of whatever the situation is. So my brain's going to take that and say, oh, evidence of stupidness. Well, then we are stupid. I am an unintelligent person. Mm -hmm. I do not have the same intelligence level as the other people in this room or in my community, etc. So... And now logically, we know that's not true. If somebody were to ask us, do you actually think that you're stupid? You say, no, no, that's just something I say because I'm Mm self-deprecating. It's taking the the emotion and linking it with the reason that we apply to the universe. It's doing that, you know, and that's kind of bananas. Yeah. Kind of scary. Yeah. Right? It's like, wait, I'm going to have to think things are dangerous even if they're not? No, I don't. I don't think they are. I'd rather not. I'm trying to be clear, because some of this is, like, really lofty, so I'm trying to be clear. No, I think that makes total sense. So another one is the fallacy of fairness. So we believe, our brains want to believe that life is fair. Um, And I I sound like a high school gym teacher right now. Like, (laughs) we all want to believe life is fair and life is shit. No. But our brain believes in the fairness of life. And when life is perceived to be unfair our brain freaks the fuck out and is like, but this isn't right because it isn't fair. And fairness is just a code of ethics that our brain has taken into account. Maybe we think that if we do the dishes, we deserve a cookie, but that's not true. (laughs) You don't deserve a cookie for helping your mom, who does that all the time. But the cookie's part of your fallacy of fairness. There you go. So then you flip the fuck out, you break shit. Yep. You just scream and scream and scream until your mom gets you a cookie. Yeah. It's worked for me. No, it doesn't work in my house that way. Oh, this is my favorite. So this next one's called Jumping to Conclusion. It splits into two parts. This is Allie Rayner's classic. I love that. This is my favorite one. Um, I was diagnosed while in treatment with OCD. And that combined with this tendency was like, oh, that's why I'm in extreme pain. Um, That explains (laughs) everything. That explains so much. So jumping to conclusions, again, very much what it sounds like. So specifically, fortune-telling, mind-reading. Fortune-telling is you think ahead to something that's going to happen, a meeting, a party, a run-in with an (laughs) ex-boyfriend, and you imagine the outcome. You paint the picture, you write the dialogue, you create this little scene in your head. And because you've created that scene, your brain now has the scene. You gave it to the brain. (laughs) 
And that's what becomes the truth to your brain. Mm -hmm. Your brain says, oh, this is what's going to happen. Not this is a possible outcome of a hundred thousand outcomes. And this is something you'll see consistently in a lot of these is it takes one choice out of, you know, exponential choices and puts all the weight on that. It Mm -hmm. puts all the weight on the negative. um, And... I think I think one of them is called disqualifying the positive. That's a yeah. specific one that I just was like, we don't have time. But yeah, it's you'll see that a lot. It's like, well, that's as likely as anything else. Mm-hmm. But your brain is deciding, no, if that's the thing that you're fearing, that's the thing that you're rehearsing. Yeah. So that rehearsal is the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. That's already happened, basically. Yeah. All of the... And so your brain just runs away with yeah. that. Yeah. And all the bad emotions are, like, yeah. already with you. And imagine the stress that you create for yourself if you are rehearsing a fight with your sister-in-law mm-hmm. that might never happen. Yeah. And now you're upset, you're sweating, you're anxious, you're calling your mom, trying to figure out what you should say, and this is hours wasted. Mm-hmm. And real distress, real distress. Yeah. Um, and it's all fake. It's yeah. all a lie. It's all part of that, like, glass, that colored glass. Um, the flip side to that, in a, in a sense, is mind reading. So somebody speaks to you a little bit too bluntly at a stop and shop or something, and you assume they're thinking, big, dumb, dumb idiot. Look at them. You're so stupid. So you think that they're thinking all these terrible things about you. They probably don't care about you. There's no evidence for that. Yeah. But your brain is all the evidence it needs. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Your brain's like, oh, got it. I know exactly what they're thinking. Say no more, reality. (laughs) We've got it from here. So another one is labeling and mislabeling. So um, it's a form of overgeneralization. So it basically takes a person's action and attributes it directly to their character Mm -hmm. rather than it just being their action. Yeah. (laughs) So they can do something bad or wrong and instead of saying to ourselves it's equally likely that they are a bad person or they're a good person and something is happening had a bad day yeah who does the latter (laughs) who thinks oh well they're probably a great person but they probably are just having the worst day who thinks that do you think that you do you think that yeah that's why you're a good person (laughs) no i never think that i remember i was listening to um armchair expert with Dak Shepard and Uh Kristen Bell I think they talk about the exact same thing oh yeah like when somebody cuts you off in traffic one person is like oh fuck this asshole and the other person's like well they might be trying to get to the hospital yeah and how nice it must be to live that way I'm absolutely and Dak Shepard was like no they're they're an asshole and Kristen Kristen Bell was like well you don't know their life well for me so that's great I'm like I consider myself like a glamorous you know intelligent doormat in that, like, I have a lot of good things so about me. That's not a doormat quality. I, I That's a beautiful quality. But, like, someone can be rude right to my face. That's a problem. And I'm like, they're just having a hard day. That is... They're just having a rough day. That is a problem, I will admit. And maybe 50% of the time, even, they are having a rough day. Right. But the other 50% of the time, maybe I shouldn't let them step on my gorgeous, intelligent doormat face well yeah and then as opposed to me if you even sneeze too close to me i'm like i don't care if your grandma died this morning i don't give a shit you you pay me the respect i'm owed and maybe this is why one of us was hospitalized for a mental illness and the other one is just living their life doing doing their best doing their best (laughs) yeah exactly sam's like well hold up now um so yeah that's overgeneralizing So maybe we do this. And then the last one, big one for a lot of people, black and white thinking. Super, super common. You're either good or you're bad. Mm -hmm. A person is either good or bad. They are are a success or they're a failure. They're this or they're that. And the truth is that no one is any one thing. Here ever at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In any sense of the word. Especially in something so crazy big is like good or bad. But we, our brain wants to put those those categories together yeah they want to do it and it's to our detriment because Mm -hmm. we do it to ourselves too Mm -hmm. you know if i don't work out today i am lazy because lazy people don't work out and good energetic fit happy people they're the ones who work out so if i don't do the thing 
I fucking suck and that's it. Yeah. And that's the fact. If I don't do everything perfectly, then I failed because the only way to have succeeded is to be perfect. Yeah. There can't be room for, if there's a little bit of failure, then the whole thing's out the window. Mm -hmm. Your brain likes that kind of style of thinking because it makes sense to it. But it also really harms you. Mm -hmm. It harms all the rest, all the rest of the parts of the triangle, right? Yeah. So how how do you feel about that after hearing all of those? Do, do you feel better? Do you feel worse? Do you feel concerned? Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really funny to think, because, like, sometimes, I know in my brain, right? Like, I think, I think, like, a negative thought about myself, or I fortune tell, or I did it up. And I'm just kind of like, well, that's just part of your brain. That's just how it works. But it's like, when when you label it like this, you think about it in a way of, like, but you could work against that. You could try mm-hmm. to change the way yeah. you think. You could remove the colored glass. You could try your best to remove the colored glass or keep the colored glass in mind as you parse your thoughts instead of just being like, well, that's the way my brain works, so. Or just the difference between this is what's happening isn't an awful and, oh, there's some colored glass there. Yeah. Even just even just there. Yeah. Even just getting to that point, I think, is awesome. Mm-hmm. was awesome for me. And I think the other thing to your point about changing things and and being able to to challenge is that you know even before I got to that point I found it so liberating mm-hmm. like I I saw these and I was like oh my god that's it that's that rumination spiral that I get into and I feel like I can never get out and it didn't just feel like a part of my brain that was malfunctioning and broken yeah it felt like it's right there if it's right there, then other people are dealing with it. And it's true that it's not just some fucked up part of me. It's a thing that my brain is doing. Yeah. And it made it w- it made the distance between my judgment of myself for it happening mm-hmm. and the fa- and what it actually was, which is just a thought. Yeah. So much wider. Mm-hmm. And like to your point, that started to change it. It started yeah. to minimize it. It started to soften and soothe mm-hmm. soothe that sense of you know because a lot of these sound silly, but. For, like, my experience, especially with OCD, was the fortune-telling, specifically, I would be rehearsing situations, walk into a different situation, and rehearsing, and all this stuff, and I would go multiple days getting more and more sick over this perceived reality, and I just thought, my brain is dying. I can't get any, I can't get any of the bad stuff out. That's the only thing that's in there. And that's what I think a lot of people describe when they're feeling depressed, anxious, symptomatic, all that stuff. They're just like, it's just all in there. There's just all this stuff right in front of my face. And and even just kind of taking a minute, bringing, a, bringing all this stuff in. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot to take in. But bringing all this stuff in kind of slowly with, with help, with guidance through it, it starts to kind of like flip the light on and everything starts to kind of fall into its seat it's like this crazy classroom yeah because the substitute teacher's like i don't know any of the lesson plans and everyone's just running around and all the lights are off and everyone's breaking shit and then the principal comes in and is like everybody chill yeah everybody sit for a minute so we can see who's here and who's not (laughs) that's that's kind of what it's like even just kind of knowing it and then guess what there's even stuff you can do to go in there and fiddle around with it. Absolutely. So that's great. Yeah. So, but I think But that's even kind just of, naming it is yeah, such an important step. Super, super important. And for me, I think even more important than challenging it. Um, but just because, to kind of close off this discussion of cognitive distortion, the sort of logical process of cognitive distortion work is cognitive distortion reframing. So you can probably guess what that means. It's you take you take this cognitive distortion and you you try to untwist it a little bit and see what's actually going on and and take your sweet beautiful big juicy brain and put some of its power to use in the situation in a different way so the way that you do this and you can absolutely find online resources for this if you search cognitive distortion reframing there will be a lot of graphs things like that um, if anyone has trouble finding those, feel free to email us. Yeah. I'm horrifiedpodcast at gmail.com. I will send you mine. Um, <clears throat> but the, the process of reframing something like this is first you, so there's four different steps in a row. And that is you start with the negative thought and you label that of, you know, I dropped my spaghetti all over the couch. I'm a stupid bitch and this is why I don't have a job. Yes. That's the thought. Yes. <laughs> 
Every day, that's the thought, ain't it? Every um, single morning. Every morning. Um, that's the thought. And then, what are the feelings? Associated feelings. What is that bringing up for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm feeling incompetent. I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling ashamed. I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling gluttonous. I'm feeling unsuccessful. I'm feeling, you know. A lot of bad stuff. All this stuff. Get all that out. And so you now you've got a little bit to work with. You've got something to dig into a little bit. And then the third part of the little line, little, little journey here, is write down what distortions might be there. Get curious. Try, take the judgment away and try to get curious and say, all right, what's happening? Um, I dropped my spaghetti all over the couch. I'm a stupid bitch. Am I a stupid bitch? <laughs> or is that me maybe bringing in some of the, what is it, emotional reasoning of mm-hmm. I feel, therefore I am, which is not true. Mm-hmm. You think, therefore you are, but you feel you are a stupid bitch. Maybe it is not so. Mm-hmm. And so then you write that down. Maybe I'm doing a little bit of emotional reasoning. Maybe I'm doing a little bit of gen- overgeneralizing or catastrophizing, whatever the case may be. And it's hard. It's throwing, throwing a lot of things out. But you kind of just get more comfy with like, oh, that's something I tend to do. Or, oh, I know that I do this. Or this is something that's so, that, that I understand. And then at the end of that, the fourth piece of it is a reframed statement. So mm-hmm. you rewrite that thought with your new info. Yeah. So let's rewrite this together. Okay. I drop my spaghetti all over the couch. I'm a stupid bitch and this is why I don't have a job. So you can say I drop my spaghetti all over the couch. That happens. That's a fact. That's what happened... I'm holding the spaghetti. It's what's going on. Or you're not holding it. Nope. <laughs> it already happened. That's okay. That's just a fact. Perhaps that's just the problem is I'm not holding the spaghetti. Yeah. I'm a stupid bitch. Well, maybe I'm feeling like a stupid bitch. Yeah. I'm feeling very embarrassed that I just did this. I'm feeling very embarrassed, but it doesn't have any bearing on who I am. Yes. I'm typing this out. Yeah, she really is. This is interactive um, therapy that we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and this is why I don't have a job. I don't think your spaghetti has anything to do with why you have a job or not, you know? I better go clean it up. Yeah. (laughs) This has no bearing on my competence as an adult. It's amazing that I made pasta in the first place. Amen. There you go. That'll do. So so there there you have it. Easy peasy. And and so I'm not saying, and again, this sounds kind of silly, right? But it's, this is, and I think this is something that is very, very important to me. When you're in that... When you're in that place where you are suffering, you know, you're in that depression, anxiety pit, you you really, and it sounds silly, it doesn't sound silly, but it sounds very sort of um, cliche because a lot of people put it the same way because it, it feels the same way for a lot of people. You just feel like, you know, you're in a hole and other people could push themselves out and there might be ladders for other people, but si- your problem is singular mm-hmm. and this situation is so singular that you are not going to be able to. And and the truth of the matter is, you know, it's not about finding that pathway. It's about slowly chipping away. It's about kind of bringing these kind of tools into your life and rerouting the highway of your thought process, mm-hmm. getting in there, getting curious about well, why is this happening? What's actually going on here? Flipping those lights on and saying, all right, well, what's what's going on? What is it that's causing distress? What can we what can we work on? And, and working with um, mental health professionals in that capacity. And there really is a lot to be tinkered with. You know, you got to find a good tinkerer mm-hmm. and be committed to it. But um, and also take the shame and embarrassment of that comes along with feeling like, you know, well, why am I doing this? And I'm an adult and nobody should have to do this. And this is silly. And you know, my stepdad would say this is stupid. <laughs> Just take that and toss it right the fuck out the window because yep. it does not matter. Nothing matters more than you getting out of that place. And there's no reason in the world that you cannot embrace this or something else that will give you a lot to to chew on, at least, at the very least. So yeah, that's, that's cognitive distortion. I love talking about CBT. CBT is amazing. Um, and there's a lot more information out there online, and I will link to some sources into the description. Um, but yeah, thank you for letting me bring you on this journey and tell me, yeah, I would love your feedback of, is this the kind of thing that you guys would like to hear about? Is this something that you're interested in? And maybe we'll bring you more mental health know-how, yeah. especially because um, 
pretty soon I will be telling you guys about an upcoming project that I have, Ooh. which will be very fun, and Sam, I'm sure, will be very involved in lots of production ways. Yay, I want to. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that'll be that. Awesome. And now we get to move on to something sexier. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing this, Al. This is really cool that you were able to, like... Isn't it cool? ...parse this stuff and kind of share it with the class. I feel proud of it. Yeah. I'm doing an amazing job. You really are. Thank you. I always think that, but you really, really are. I always... I've been thinking it more. Good. There you go. Therapy. There you go. Therapy, guys. You guys. All right. You gots to get into it. All right. Well, I, I think we've talked enough about therapy, but what we have to talk about now is the huge caucus. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> I'm so oh. glad. I didn't write me saying caucus in a sexy way into this script, but I'm going to keep doing it. Sam Cinemax After Dark voice is coming out to play. Woo! Um, the craziest thing, I'm. we're going to cut this out. I never use this voice in a sexual context. I only Why ever use it Why would we cut that out? I think that's podcast. hysterical. Yeah, I know. I only ever use, like, a whispery sexy voice, like, in the context of an AdamandEve.com commercial. Oh, I speak very matter-of-factly sexually. <laughs> it's all very much like, do we have that? You know what I mean? Like, do we have everything you need for that project? Very much sort of like a, like a, like a contractor dealing with that. his, uh, you know, because there's many people involved. Yeah. <laughs> we got eight, nine guys on the job. On, on the job today. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Gotta make sure everybody gets home on time. Absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> Doing good work. All right. Let's talk about this. So, the election news cycle is one of the most horrifying things probably in the whole entire world. Can we agree? Yeah, hellscape. Um, so I've been out of it more than I probably should, but I'm now going to try to start paying attention because things have eventually begun with the Iowa caucus. Yeah. The caucus. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, it just happened for us Monday. So we're recording this and it just happened a couple days ago. By the time this comes out, it'll have been a couple weeks. Got but it. just so you guys know, um, and due to an issue I will talk about for us, the results are still not fully in. So at the time of you Wait, guys- what? Yeah. At the time of you guys listening to this, you will actually know more about what happened at the caucus than I currently do. But I'm just going to report what I know. You know what's interesting? Um, I was having lunch with my mother today, mm -hmm. which was lovely. Um, but she started talking about the Iowa caucus, and she, I literally stopped her and said, "I don't want to hear about this." <laughs> I stopped her and Sorry. I said, "I don't want to talk about this." And then did you look at your phone and I had texted you to say, "I'm going to talk yeah. about the Iowa yep. caucus today." Exactly. Alrighty. Um, but as we were just saying, neither of us fully understand the Iowa caucus. My whole life, I had heard how important it was, but I really never looked into it. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Uh, turns out it's dumb and we shouldn't do it anymore. Let's talk about it. So the first question is, why do we all care so much about Iowa? Do we? <laughs> In this time of the year? Yes. Um, and so the answer is very simply, because they go first. <laughs> So they vote first. Yeah. So okay. Iowa is the first state to vote in the primaries. Um, it has been since around the time of the 70s-ish. Um, and it quickly becomes national news who wins because it feels mm. like that person has just like gotten the stamp of approval and they're now a really viable candidate. Oh, I, I, well, I totally get, we were just talking about how your brain just takes a piece of information yeah. and runs with it. Like, then you start to associate Democrat with that person and Republican with the other. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. Winner with whoever wins the caucus. Exactly. Um, and uh, the first person who really used it to their advantage, interestingly enough, was like Jimmy Carter. He was like very much an under the radar candidate, but he went to Iowa before oh, anyone else did. He seems like an eat corn with the people kind of yeah. Dude, though. But he so he just like romanced the people of Iowa, and then he won kind of like surprisingly, and all of a sudden all the news outlets were like, "Who's this Jimmy Carter guy?" And he got a ton more media attention than he would have had he not won in Iowa. Yeah, and he was just like holding a bag of peanuts, like, "Hello, neighbor." Yeah, that was him. That was him. He was talking about how they invited him on, like, a local news show. And so he went because he was trying to, like, get votes, but he didn't realize it was a cooking show. So they, oh, like, no. put an apron on him and he was like, okay, the here we go. The thing about your heat is you got to turn it down on the <laughs> Um, And so uh, an example of this kind of momentum you get with the Iowa caucus is this. As of this recording, it looks like Mayor Pete has won the Iowa caucus. Wow. Um, again, you people in the future, you might know that pff, a billion more districts just came out for Bernie. But at the time of recording, it seems like it's Mayor Pete. 
That is huge for his campaign because he looks way more viable to voters in the media. Because he was not pulling that high. No, but it seems, again, it's there are not all the votes are in yet. It seems he's pulling ahead of Bernie and Warren and then Biden's in like fourth. Um, so that's huge for him. On the other hand, again, Papa Joe is in fourth. Uh, maybe. The votes aren't all in mm-hmm. yet. And that is a huge hit to his campaign because voters are all now like, huh, I guess he's not actually a viable candidate. Yeah, I guess the polling wasn't real based on <laughs> the people of Iowa. So many but states. what do they know? <laughs> exactly. Many states have a primary where, much like an election, people go into little private booths and they cast their vote on a little anonymous ballot. And then they, it all gets tabulated and delegates get awarded and etc. That is actually not how they fuck around in Iowa. In Iowa, they have a caucus. Why? You keep saying, what is it? What a is hard. it? hard. Stop. A big, a caucus. And so, <laughs> um, there are 1,600 caucus locations in Iowa for people to gather. And if you are an Iowan and you want a caucus... Uh, if you want to get, know, and we know you do. If you want to get a bunch of people together and just have them caucus your brain out, um, here's what you do. You're, re- you're starting to reach. <laughs> I know. I know. Again, this wasn't in the script. Uh, number one, you show up at your caucus location. I feel like you're <laughs> you're choosing ways to keep involving the word. It, th- that was in but the script. So you show up. You show up. You show up and you sign in. Easy. Around the room are physical zones dedicated for the candidates. So you've got a Sanders area. You've got a Warren area. That's bananas. Tom Steyer has a very sad corner. Everybody gets a spot. And you go and you stand. You physically stand in the in the zone for your favorite candidate. Or there's Wait. a little undecided spot. So you could also stand there. What? Physically, you are standing in a, in a gymnasium. There's a corner marked Warren, and you go and you stand there. This looks like this, Step one. this sounds like you made it up twenty minutes ago. <laughs> this is what caucusing is. Then volunteers go around the room and they count up how many people are standing in the zone of each candidate. That's the first count, and what that does is determine viability. To be viable in an Iowa caucus, you need to have at least fifteen percent of the people in the caucus room standing up for you. So if you only have one guy in the Tom Steyer corner, he's not viable. If Bloomberg only has two dudes, not a viable candidate. What? Then. <laughs> but how do they get all the people there at the same time? So they just say, like, if you want a caucus, be at the gymnasium at 7 p.m. What the fuck? I know. I'm going to get into it even more. What but I'm, is this? We're not even done with the caucus. We're only halfway through the caucusing. Sam, I, I'm, I'm literally not trying to be like, oh my god, I'm so surprised, like, I can't believe this, lol, and, like, trying to fake it. I literally am kind of thinking, like, because I've told everyone about how I tried to convince you that I didn't know who the Black Eyed Peas were, yeah. and that you bought it for so long, and that's been, like, a huge power struggle. Yeah. I feel like I told you earlier I didn't know what it was. <laughs> no, this is... And you decided to fuck with me, and, like, five lines from now you're gonna be like, that thing I told you about them standing up, that was the lie. And then you'll finally have won. Allie, hold my hand. No, I don't trust you right now. Hold my now. hand right now. I... I need to look it up. No, wait. I, I need would, to look it up because I don't trust you. I would never do to you what you did to me. <laughs> That's so true. This is like the thing with the car. Like, you're just a better... The thing that I can't accept is that you're a better person. <laughs> it's not, again, I'm. that's not what I'm saying. I'm and saying I'm I can't... A, I'm saying I'm a, an absolute 10. I'm saying I might as well be in an Ivy League school and I am a doormat. I don't... <laughs> That sounds so fucking crazy. Can I finish what happens? Yeah, on I night? don't. We're only no, no, no. I gotta night. see. I gotta make sure that you're not fucking with me. <laughs> I promise I'm I, not. Is we May- can cut all this out. I really Ma- have to Mayor make sure. Is Mayor Pete still in the lead? Uh, I didn't look at that. I was okay. trying to find the Wikipedia page. Members of party register, but it doesn't say anything about the standing. They, they really do. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Unless the internet is black appeasing me. Unless. It wouldn't have occurred to me to do this. I know. That's why I'm a ba- I'm evil and gonna go to hell. That's not even, I'm just saying, like... No. <laughs> this is the way they caucus. I watched a bunch of... Yes! I just... It's on a Slate article. Yep. Are you fucking kidding me? That's how they do it. Yeah. Iowa caucus. Yeah, Pete's in the lead still. 26.5%. Wow. When I wrote this... But like, Elizabeth Warren is above Joe Biden. Yes. I'll take it. Iowa, I would see that. All right. For sure. 
Because he's the most Republican of everyone else. That's not really true. Um, okay, but so, so we verified that I'm telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I don't trust you <laughs> after so eight years of friendship. <laughs> so that's the first count, right? You determine whether or not your candidate's viable. If your candidate is viable, if you are in the Warren corner, or apparently the Mayor Pete corner, you feel great. But if your candidate was not viable, if you are part of the Yang gang, um, oh boy, <laughs> maybe, I don't know if he was or not, but you have a couple options. Number one, you can convince other people in a non-viable group to get together behind your candidate and make him or her viable. So you could be like, everybody who loves Andrew Yang and everybody who loves Mike Bloomberg, let's all get in the Yang corner. I don't think that combination would ever let's, happen. Let's cut our losses. <laughs> But then maybe you can get your guy up to 15%. Or B, someone in a viable group can convince you to join their candidate. So a Bernie bro comes over to you and they're like, I know you love Amy Klobuchar. But can you be a Sandy man <laughs> yes. for me right now? Do you want to come over to the Bernie Sanders corner and you say, yes. In the words of Lenny Kravitz, <laughs> are you going to go my way? Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Um, or number Not three, for Amy Klobuchar, but... <laughs> or number three, you can just go home and sob your eyes out. So once all the crybabies have gone yeah, home... That's the one I would pick. Yeah. Everyone else has re kind of repicked what they want to do, and there is one more count. And this is the count that determines the winner and the delegates that everyone gets. And then the volunteers report the results. That is what a caucus is. Sure. And so it's... The, the pros of a caucus is in that it's just... Good old-fashioned Iowans having conversation with their neighbors, being able to talk about the issues, being convinced of something they might not have believed before, you know. Also seems like there's, like, a country fair going on and you get to, like, eat corn dogs. You and... might. I don't really... I think it's usually just, like, in a gym. Like... Okay, but all the photos I see are of people eating yummy fair food. That's fair. Maybe there's fair food there. It's Iowa. That's all I've seen. If, if you had to tell me... It, like, if I had to guess mm -hmm. before you told me, I would have guessed it was, it's a big county fair mm -hmm. that you're legally required to contribute, like, that you're legally required to participate in a food eating competition in. I would love in that. In order to gain the primary. That would be better for the fate of the nation, but yeah. that is not actually how it works. Well, I don't know if... <laughs> If it would line up with my values, yeah. I feel like a lot of Republicans maybe participate in. That's no statement on, I'm just saying in red states fair, like yeah. fair, county fairs are more popular. Um, so I feel like they have that under their belt. So there I you feel, go. you know, insecure as a Democrat. Um, but so, uh, like I said, seems easy and old fashioned and almost quaint. But what if I told you it was actually bad? So no, I, I agree it's bad. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. So the big negative thing about the Iowa caucus is that, again, the thing you could not believe, you have to be physically there at a specific time and a specific place to participate. You cannot wander in whenever is convenient. You cannot send in your caucus ballot. Caucuses are held on a Monday night at 7 p.m. and they last a couple hours. This means you have to be free and available with no one depending on you in order to go and caucus. Um, so people who are retail workers or have night shifts, like hospital workers, people who go to class at night, People whose kids just got home from school and they can't afford childcare. These people cannot caucus. They cannot participate. And Jezebel actually did a really interesting story where they talked to kind of Iowans who were feeling disenfranchised by the process. Mm -hmm. One of them was named Peter Foxhoven, and he had a really interesting story that I'm now going to quote at length. So this is all from a, a, a true Iowan. Uh, quote, the caucus process is just not fair to a large group of us. The elderly, for instance, if you aren't able to get out. My grandmother's a good example of this. My grandfather died a couple weeks ago, and she doesn't feel she can manage to get out there and back at night in the snow. That's exclusionary for her. She could have made it if she could go during the day, if it was a primary. Anyone that's doing shift work, like my mom, who was a night nurse for a long time, she wasn't able to caucus for several election cycles. And in my, my, uh, duh. And in my case and my wife's case, we're not sure how we're going to do it. One of us is probably going to go, and the other one won't be able to. Our daughter has cerebral palsy, cortical visual impairment. She has a brain trauma. She had brain trauma in the birth process. She was nine weeks premature, so she has a compromised immune system. We just can't take her anywhere. And we have no childcare options either. No one will take her because her needs are too much. I would have gone for Bernie like I did last time or Elizabeth Warren. 
if it were a primary, it would have been all day and I could go and my wife could go and we'd actually be able to participate. As it is, it feels like functional disenfranchisement from the process. Yeah. So this guy just brings up Completely. like a ton of really good points about why this caucus process is like not good for him. Um, another big one is people with disabilities who want to caucus. They have to inform their caucus site of any accommodation weeks in advance. And then sometimes they never hear back from the site if those accommodations are going to be possible. Yeah, because government moves so fast. Exactly. So um, I, when Michelle Metters explained in the same Jezebel, Jezebel article, it takes a lot of preparation to get somebody with a power wheelchair to an event. I'm familiar with the accommodation request process, but I did not do it. One of the reasons... Um, one of the reasons I didn't is because I'm a firm believer that they should have somebody with disabilities go through these areas and double check. They should just have been ready. And I'm not going to take my time to fill out a piece of paper and tell them everything I'm going to need. Because quite honestly, it would take more paper and more time for me to put it all down. And it would just end up pissing me off even more than just doing it. This shouldn't be a request. It should be an automatic given. It's, this is 2020. I know there's going to be some barrier I won't be able to get through. Something that's not wide enough for a power wheelchair. It's already something people don't want to go through because of the humiliation. Why put yourself in a situation that's going to be awkward? The thing that irks me, because so much of this is about healthcare, social security, those things apply directly to me and to veterans who have disabilities. Those are the people that should be the biggest majority of people who are caucusing because this political change is what affects us directly the most. It will affect able-bodied people eventually, but this affects us right now. Hmm. Which, again, is a great point. Like, what kind of people are you making it easy yeah. for them to give their opinion? Who's <clears throat> who's it easy for? Who's it hard for? And how is that going to affect the election? And it's pretty clear. Like, yeah. there's a lot of reasons that somebody, you know, who works night shifts or, you know, is a student mm -hmm. and then also works three jobs on the side so they can't drop a shift, like might want to vote for somebody like Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, that's, yeah, I didn't, I didn't consider that because I don't have to. And yeah. And that's really important. And the other thing that I didn't even think about is Voter that. Voter suppression is, ugh, Yeah, absolutely. I am horrified. Um, and the other thing I didn't even think about was that in a caucus, you have to do all of this publicly in front of your neighbors. Again, Iowan, yeah. Iowan Heather Pearson what? told Je Jezebel, quote, Don't you have a right to privacy or yeah. something? She said, quote, I live in a rural area. The fact that we have to declare our votes publicly is a huge deterrent for many people in my area. Our turnout is typically low. I know that there are people who get pressured by neighbors or family members to vote a certain way. Being able to cast a ballot privately is more democratic, which is absolutely true. Yeah, like, so, for example, like, say you're a man in a red state and you've heard a lot of people say, like, things that are either violent or, like, just really awful about, like, you know, gay men. Mm -hmm. And whether you're gay or not, like, if you support, you know, an openly gay um, candidate, as you should or mm -hmm. shouldn't, I don't want to vote for him, and I wish everyone was gay, um, but, like, that's, yeah, so, like, that, you know, that puts you maybe at risk for yeah. being profiled or be being, like, you know, it's just, I'm not super elegantly phrasing this, but it's just, like, you know, that's putting, that could be putting some people in danger. Even. Yeah, absolutely. And that this all comes into another question, is Iowa a representative population of America? The answer is no. <laughs> of course not. Um, for one example, obviously race is not the only demographic that matters, but often we see kind of like voting lines and racial lines correlated. So let's just break that down. Um, and I think it's also important that like there are things that white people have that black people don't have. Yeah. And that's important when you're voting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So according to the most recent data available, the racial composition of Iowa is... 90% white. Shocking. Um, about 3.5% black or African American. More than I thought. Um, about 5.6% Hispanic or Latino, but that's of any race. So that could be like Afro-Latino or, you know, stuff like that. It's hard to imagine any diversity in Iowa, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's which, about, is not to, which is not to like, you know, undermine yeah. the diversity in Iowa. Yeah. But it, yeah. So it's 2.4% it's Asian and then it's like less than 2% people who are biracial of another race or a Native American or Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander. And then the U.S. as a whole is 73% white, 
but then it's 12.7% black or African-American, 17.6% Hermit, 17.6% Hispanic or Latino and 5.4% Asian. So just kind of notably quite different numbers than what Iowa is. So it's really not a great representative sample. And thank God NPR actually did the legwork on this. And in 2016, they did a really deep dive into data to try to figure out which US state was the closest demographic match to like the entire US. Where should we really caucus? Yes. And the answer was Illinois. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Wasn't So I, I looked at their whole chart. And we should link this too, because it's a very cool chart they made. Um, but the overall winner was Illinois. Illinois was also the closest demographically based on race. Um, education demographics, it was most similar to Delaware. Age demographics was most similar to Virginia. And income was most similar to Pennsylvania. Delaware, what a concept. I know. <laughs> but so any of those places, in theory, kind of offer a better sample of how America is going to vote. Right. Than Iowa, which is not that similar to those places, to America as a whole. So if we do one first and, like, let that first race determine who's a viable candidate, shouldn't we be doing it in Illinois or somewhere else like that? Why right. Why is it Iowa? Um, and then so quick, just for fun, let's talk about this year's caucus. Fun. So it's been a shit show, um, largely because they were trying to shift from, like, paper ballots and calls to a cell phone app. And the problems came because, one, they did not train their volunteers how to use the app, and the volunteers at the caucus were old. And then two, it had a massive glitch in it and didn't really work. Great. And like the most representative story of this is from um, Bill Brosh, who was a caucus chair for Precinct 59 in Des Moines. And he said the app glitched on Monday night after working before. And the Iowa Democratic Party told him to uninstall and then reinstall the app minutes before the caucus began. But um, Branch was unable to reinstall it because he had forgotten his Apple password. <gasps> so he deleted it because they told him to, but then he couldn't reinstall it because he's an old man. He doesn't know his Apple ID. <laughs> Who remembers that? Absolutely. This is another reason why I like my Google phone. There you go. I have to say. So, um, but that's just like so representative of the problem. So then they only had 12 staffers on like the emergency line. So all 1,600 districts were trying to call into the emergency line to report their results. Oy. Obviously, the 12 employees were like, ah. We're moving through them kind of slow. Um, so people were on hold for, like, hours, and they were having to, like, go back to paper ballots and, like, try to make sure they had the right numbers because, like, they were still keeping the paper counts, but they weren't, like, they thought the app was going to do it. Yeah, so I would They had to be like, shit, okay, who counted for Bernie? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a nightmare. Yeah. So it's literally taken them again. This, the caucus was on a Monday. We're recording this on a Wednesday and they still don't have the results. Usually they have them that night within like a few hours. Yikes. So they still don't have. Can't we just call it a wash? I know. Something like 70% of districts are reporting now. Um, and the app still like doesn't want to release the other data. Cause it's like, we're really not confident. That's right. Oh my God. The app really fucked up. Um, so what I would say is in Iowa, let's just do a normal voting primary. From now on. And maybe let's um, start the voting in Illinois. <laughs> Those are my two structural changes that I recommend. Seems fair. Right? Seems I think it seems totally very fair. fair. That's the hard caucus we've been dealing with. That was awful. I, I enjoyed it more when we were talking about my own <laughs> emotional trauma. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but now we both know what a caucus is and how fucking stupid it is. But now we both learned something constructive. And I just wish, you told me once that you'd never seen The Music Man. No, I haven't. And it's annoying to me because there's a song in The Music Man called Iowa Stubborn where they're singing about the people of Iowa and it has been stuck in my head for two days. And the fact that you don't have to go through this pain as well is difficult for me. Why can't you just be happy for me? You know what, you're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Beautiful doormat, Samantha <laughs> Buntich. That's me. She flattens again. No, you're very strong. Thank you so much. Um, um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Allie, thank you again for sharing your story and that really interesting kind of work on all the stuff your brain does. Yeah, thank you for, for your work as well. It was truly brave. Thank you so much. <laughs> I think yeah. we've both done my personal experience with the Iowa caucus. <laughs> and you're just like, I mean, it's been a hard road. It's been really hard. But we're going to get there. I wrote this on my lunch break today. 
It's just like I was trying to vote for Amy Klobuchar with my iPad. And then I, like, I asked them, like, why it wasn't working. And they said I had to restart my iPad. And then I tried to call my daughter to ask what the password was and she forgot. That's literally what happened at the iPad. To, like, August. a thousand old to ladies. To a thousand old ladies. Those poor old ladies. I know, I feel bad for them. They just want to, why can't they, they just fill out a ballot? I know, they just love democracy. It's the simplest thing. Oh, boy. Wow, what a doozy. All right. No sign off. No. See you next week. Till then, we hope to stay horrified. Stay horrified.